0: How are you guys doing this morning? I got to tell you, I love Blockbuster. And when we first started kind of mapping out the series, and, and, and me and Brent and Pastor and Kyle all got together, um, I knew that this was the movie. Well, I, you know, either this or Wonder Woman, you know, but, but I, I knew this was because as I confessed to you guys last week, um, you know, uh, Night's Tale is one of my favorite or a few weeks ago, Night's Tale is one of my favorite movies, the whole night thing. And I always loved King Arthur. I loved the things. When I was in high school, I read the books, uh, The Crystal Cave and that trilogy, and all about. King Arthur and all this stuff. And, and so, I, I've, I've always loved all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, we went and did this. Uh, I, I was getting ready for this a few weeks ago. My wife and I went to see this movie. Um, how awesome is it that, that sermon preparation includes going to the movies? <laughs> and so, uh, uh, we went and saw it and, um, you know, we get through. I was afraid Mia wouldn't like it because it's got a lot of action and that kind of stuff in it, you know, and she likes love stories and that kind of garbage. But, but, uh, we, uh, so, but we get there and, uh, and, and she loved it. And so, we get out of the... We got to the thing. I said, What'd you? we got to the movies, get in the car. I said, what would you think? She said, it was great. She said, uh, I got no clue what you're going to preach about, though. But it was great. So. But no, it, it, was, uh, it was really good. And so in and, and watching this, the, thing, the theme of this movie, and, and I'm going to try my best. I'm not going to ruin it for you. But the theme of this movie is, is all about destiny or purpose or uh, the, the definition of destiny, your fate or fortune or the Christian word we use is calling. Uh, you know, our, 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 what it is that we are called to do. And so the whole thing is about this young this young man discovering his destiny and, and trying to grow and, and, and find it is what it is that he's called to do and to grow into that and, and come into it. Um, and so as, as we get into this, you know, I don't know about you, but uh, if you're like me at all, um, and some of you probably hope you're not, but if you're like me at all, uh, you probably have struggled at some time or another in your life with, what it is that I'm supposed to be doing. I, I, you know, you, you wonder what it is that God wants me to do. Uh, or, you know, m- maybe even a great, you know, what, what it is in my life. Why am I here? What is it, you know, if you're into existentialism and that kind of thing, you know, I have no clue what it is that I'm here for. and why, why am I here? Well, in this movie, it kind of deals with the whole destiny thing of, of this man, Arthur, who grew up far away from the palace. He grew up in the streets um, and, and had no idea that he was destined to be the king of all of England. And so many of us are like that and that we struggle with what it is that we're trying to do. Some of you guys, you know, uh, maybe you have a clue of what it is, but, you know, you're not sure, and so you struggle with that, and, and you kind of come into it. If you're like me, I, I can remember, uh, I told the story earlier, um, I was about 10 years old. I was in a church across town. It used to be called Grayson Valley Assembly of God. Now it's called Life Church. It's over in, in the Grayson Valley area. And uh, I grew up in that church, and I was about 10 years old, this would have been just after the Civil War. And, uh, and so I, I'm like 10 years old, and, and the district superintendent, Vardy Lambert, is preaching. And, and I had known Vardy most of my life. He knew my, uh, he, he passed my mom when, right after my grandfather died. And uh, he was preaching, and all I remember about, I have, no, I have no idea what he was preaching about. I have no idea what the message was. I just remember at about 10 or 11 years old, just feeling my heart break and, and going to the front with tears streaming down my face and just and all the only words i could get out was i want to preach the gospel i want i, I want to preach and uh, and so the church in 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 their wisdom they decided that you know they were going to help me accomplish this now my dad hated it because you know my dad was a, my, my dad was, you know he's he's a working guy he grew up now he, he's been in church been a deacon you know he grew up in church my dad was a godly man but he knew you know, in his mind preachers are, are sissies that work one day a week and that's not the kind of guy he wanted his son to grow up to be and so you know, and, and so he wanted me to do something else. Don't be a preacher. You'll never have any money. And that, that part's partially true, uh, <laughs> at least if you're an honest one. Um, but <laughs> just kidding. But, you know, so he did a, and so, you know, my, my dad was kind of like my mom, of course. Her dad was a preacher, so she was poor. But the church decided, you know, so they're going to help me. And they began to tell me what it is that, you know, this is what you need to do. And they began to try to put me on this path and fit me into the box that I needed to be in in order to do this. And as you can tell, I don't fit in boxes very well. And so uh, the three things about destiny that I've discovered throughout my life uh, are that in order to fulfill your destiny, point number one, in order to fulfill your destiny, you must first deal with your past. In, in, in order to find what it is that God has for you, in, in order to, to fulfill it is what, what it is that God is calling you to do, you have to first deal with those things in our past. Too often, we allow the, the pain and disappointment of our past To poison our future we have things that happen to us we have hurt feelings we have trauma we have things that that, that we allow um, in the past that we hold on to and, and we kind of foster it and we keep it inside and it festers and it grows and it poisons everything it begins to distort the view that we have of the future there are some of you that you were hurt in church you've been offended by church there are atrocities that have been that have been committed in church in the name of churchdom uh, that it's not God, and, and, and it's, it's a tragedy, and it is wrong. And some of you have experienced that, and you have two choices. You can, you can keep that, and you can allow it to tell you that all of church is bad, or you can say that that is wrong and that is bad, but God is bigger and God has something better. And you see, in, in order to, in order to truly fulfill what it is that God has called you to do, we have to, we have to confront those things that are in our past. Some of us we have things that we did. It may, be, it may be stupid mistakes that we made as a teenager, you know, things that we did as a kid, things that we did as a young adult, maybe even things that we did before we got saved that we didn't know any better. You know, we grew up, we didn't have thi- we didn't have a godly person in our life to teach us. And so we made mistakes. We committed a crime, we did think there are things, and so. Those things are in our past, and so what we end up doing is we just kind of put them there and kind of let them there, and, and we don't want to deal with it, but it, it, it poisons everything else because it begins to tell us that I can't do this because I'm not good enough. I'm not qualified to do this because of what, what I did when I was younger. I, I'm, not, I'm not qualified to do this because of the mistake that I made. We begin to struggle with things like that. Arthur, in the movie, Arthur couldn't effectively wield Excalibur until he confronted the demons of his past. In the movie, you know, you see the thing where he draws the sword out and he takes it out of the stone, and he's got this powerful weapon that, that only, only his lineage can, can, can wield. He was the next in line. His father was killed when he was, a, when he was a child. I'm not ruining that part for you. It happens in the trailer. So. But, you know, his, his father dies when he's a child, and so only, only his lineage, he's the next in line, so he's the only one who can take the sword out of the stone. And so when the sword reveals itself and he goes and he pulls it out and all of this power overwhelms him and until he comes to the point that he could deal with the demons of his past and the things that he has just refused to deal with, he can't wield the power that is given to him. And many of us are like that. God has given us things in our life. God has given you abilities and God has given you gifts and talents and we can't fully deal with them. We can't fully wield them because we refuse to deal with the hurts and the pain and the mistakes of our past. Now, there's good news for you if you're one of those people. Ezekiel chapter 16 says, you're, this, this is Ezekiel talking, God is talking to Ezekiel who's the prophet to Israel. And so he is he's speaking to the, to the nation of Israel. You'll remember your past life and face the shame of it. But when I make atonement for you and make everything right after all you've done, it will leave you speechless, decree of God the master. Now, you know, if, if, that, don't, if that don't get you excited, then, you know, you're, you're, you didn't hear it. So, you know, it, it says, after all that you've done and I make everything right, I will render you speechless. You see, we, we walk around with these things and, and, and we struggle with it because we don't know what to do. Uh, a, a message I preached a few years back about the S word, sin. Um, I worried some of you. Some of you worry about what I would think the S word would be, but sin. Um, and, and when we talk about sin, one of the problems with us is that we don't know what to do with sin. And so we hide it, we, we try to bury it, we try to ignore it, and we try to compare it to other people so that we can say, well, my sin is not as bad as that sin. And so we have our pet sins. The church has our sins that we like to shine light on so that we can say, we don't do that sin, so I'm not that bad. I, I don't do that sin, so I'm not that bad. But we have our own sin. And so we don't know what to do with it. The good news is that God knows what to do with your sin. He, he atones it. He, he the atone means that he pays for it. He takes care of the debt that's owed. He takes care of it and wipes it clean. He makes all the things that you did, he makes them right so that you can be rent so that you can shut up and do what he called you to do. Rendered speechless so you can shut your mouth and do what he told you to do. See, the thing is, when we come to God, God wants to reveal our sin. We want to hide it. God wants to reveal it so that he can deal with it. You know, when you go to the doctor and you have a tumor, he has to cut it open and reach it so he can excise it. He can take it out. When you have sin in our life, we want to keep it and hide it so that nobody knows that we're sinners. Can I tell you a secret? Everybody knows that we're sinners, okay? The Bible, the Bible tells everybody all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. None of us are righteous. And so when we come to God and say, all right, God, fix it, then God exposes it, and God removes it, and God makes it right. When we begin to deal with that past, whether it's sin, whether it's hurt, whether it's frustration, maybe it's a sin that grows out of hurt because we allow it to hurt us. One of the things that I learned in, in, in counseling training is that hurting people hurt other people. One of the reasons that we deal with people at work sometimes and they're and and, and they're just mean, nasty people that hurt you. They say things that are that are hateful and they say things that are mean, quite often, more often than not, they are hurting. And they simply need somebody to reach inside that that defensive barrier and to say, you know what? I love you. Is there something I could do? Sometimes we have a nasty neighbor that just don't want to do anything all the time. Take them some cookies. Take them some, you know, if, if you're like me and you like to barbecue, take them some ribs, man. You know, because i am tell you, everybody likes ribs. You know, it's just, um, you know, whatever it is, we, we begin to reach out and begin to reach through that because these people are hurting. And so when we, when we begin to reach out and help others, we begin to look outside of that. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, anyone who belongs to Christ is a new person. The past is forgotten. Everything is new you're like me, you went, to, you went to a Christian school, you learned this in the King James, you know, that says, uh, For everything in Christ is a new creature. Behold, all things are passed away and all things are made new. Uh, you know, and, and there, was, there was usually a picture of a butterfly in there, a cocoon, because it kind of, I, I don't know why, but they always put that in there. And so it, it, it kind of tells us that, that, you know, whatever it is, when we come to God, then we are no longer ourselves. Old is passed away. All those things that bypassed are gone. It means the stupid things that I said and did, they're gone. It means the things that I do, the, the, the mistakes that i made, the hurts that I've had, I don't, have to, I don't have to wear those things like a heavy backpack anymore. I can take that off and walk because God can release us from that. And when I begin to deal with that, then I can take the first step into finding what it is that God wants me to do, into achieving the destiny, the purpose, the calling that God has on my life. And you see, too many of us are still poisoned by the things that happened because we just simply haven't dealt with them but today god wants to deal with those things the second point about destiny is that no one else can determine your destiny except for you there is nobody else that you come in contact with that can determine what it is that you can do except for you god god called us god placed within you a whole a calling something for you to to come to find in him and 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 that thing it is he's given you the ability and the power to do and there are going to be people that are going to tell you you cannot do that there are going to be people that tell you that's impossible there are going to be people that tell you you're not you're not qualified to do that there are going to be people that tell you that you can't do that because of whatever reason i've shared with you guys uh when, when I was growing up, I struggled with not being good enough. It was always, it's something that's haunted me, and, and I'd like to say in the past, but there are still times that when, when I'm faced with things, I, I, I still hear that voice in my head sometimes, and I have to like, I have to pray and, and take care of it. When I was growing up, I, um, you may have heard me tell this, there was a there was a, a very influential person in my life, and um, i have been in music, I, I, I've loved music from the time I was a kid, and so I was, um, uh, I, I, I told this person that, I wanted to pursue music in college, and and so I wanted to be a singer, and I wanted to do this and and this person said i've heard you sing, and you 're not that good and uh you know and it's and, and, and it 's something that that it haunted me because every time I got up to sing from that point on i heard that 's all I heard was in my head i heard you 're not that good, and so whenever I tried to do these things, I heard you 're not that good and and it drove me and so um I didn't tell this part first service. There was actually, when I went to, when I went to college, uh, I went to Sanford University in the late 80s, and um, they developed this thing that they were trying out to tell if, you were, uh, if your music um, IQ was, was qualified to be a music major. And, uh, and so they put you in this room, and, and they play tones. Like, and, and I sat with headphones, and they would play these two tones. OK, which one is high? Are the, is this pitch higher, lower, or the same? And so they would be, you know, and, and they play these tones and you go through and and uh and so they sent a letter to my parents encouraging them to for me to pursue another another major because they said we don't think his music aptitude is here. I finished my music degree, I've had the opportunity to lead worship and to sing in other countries and other continents. I've had the opportunity to do things, I've led people, I, I I've had the opportunity to teach music and no one else can determine your calling and what you are able to do except for you. No one, no one can determine. And, and, and there, there are going to be voices that are going to tell you, you can't do that. Now, now here's the thing. There are people that really can't sing. Okay? The, and and, and uh, if you've watched any of American Idol, you know that there are people who cannot sing, who insist that they're very good. And the church is to blame for that sometimes, because I'll hear people sing, and they can't carry a tune in a bucket. And people will say, oh, that blessed my heart. That was beautiful this morning. I, I, that was good. And I, and I, I want to go, really? <laughs> Did you hear that? No, none of our people. These guys were, these guys were amazing, okay? Uh, Hannah and, and, and Kelsey and Micah, they, they knocked out of the park today. They were, they were really, really good. I'm not talking about those guys. I'm not talking about this church, but you you know what I'm talking about. You've been to those where the person's caterwauling up there and they can't understand what they're doing, and and people say, oh, that was beautiful. No, it wasn't. (laughs) That is an American Idol moment waiting to happen, I'm telling you. But no one else can tell you what it is that you can do. when, When you know that you know that you know that this is what God has called me to do, and you begin to pursue that thing, then God can make a way where there seems to be no other way. When we begin to, to deal with the things of our past, when we begin to understand that no one else can determine what it is, this is I almost, um, let me give you this. Even though he was raised far from the palace, Arthur's leadership was evidence in the streets. In the movie, uh, Arthur's dad dies when he's a kid, and so he, he, he doesn't fully remember. He's, he's just a, a baby, and um, he's, he's orphaned, He's raised in a brothel, um, and, and, and he winds up on the streets. If anybody had an opportunity to, to, to basically have a, a wasted life, it would be this, this young man. And there are people like that. My, uh, uh, my mentor, the man who was like a father to me, Dr. Arnold Lastinger, um, he, he used to tell his story to people, not, to, not for any other reason except to encourage them. He grew up in a broken home. With alcoholic parents, he tells the story of growing up and as a as a young teenager living in an army surplus tent in the winter time, and he talks about now he grew up in you know Jacksonville, Florida, so it wasn't that cold, but you know it was still it still gets cold in Florida occasionally, and so, and he talks about being able to look up in the night and seeing the stars through some of the holes in the top of this army surplus tent that he grew up in. Every person in his life aunts, uncles, those kind of things, were alcoholics, drug addicts, or were non-existent in his life. This man had every opportunity to be a failure, to become an alcoholic, to be another statistic. Instead, he raised five awesome men that were his sons. At his funeral a couple of years ago, the sanctuary that holds like 600, 600 800 people was, was packed. There were people online, there were there were dozens of ministers around the world who wanted to speak at his funeral because he had mentored them and spoken to their lives he had an earned doctorate in ministry he pastored for fifty years then he went out after he retired from ministry he and his wife became missionaries and traveled the world and he did that so well that they made him they made him the president of a Bible college in the Ukraine in Kiev this is a man who had every opportunity to have a wasted life but no one else could tell him that he could not accomplish something there are some of you that have learning disabilities There are some of you who have traumatic experiences there are things in your life but no one no one outside of you can tell you what you can or can't do Eleanor Roosevelt said in the long run we shape our lives and we shape ourselves the process never ends until we die And the choices we make are ultimately our own responsibility. What you become is on you. There's a verse that uh, I almost missed at first service. This is one of our verses. This is one of our church 2911 core verses. This is who we are. Jeremiah 2911 says, I know what I'm doing. I have it all planned out. This is God talking talking. He says, I know what I'm doing. I have it all planned out. Plans to take care of you and not abandon you. Plans to give you the future you hope for. When you call on me and when you come and pray to me, I will listen. When you come looking for me, you will find me. Yes, when you get serious about finding me and you want it more than anything else, I'll make sure that you won't be disappointed. God's decree is I'll turn things around for you. I'll bring you back from all the countries into which I drove you. God's decree bring you home to the place from which I sent you off in exile. You can count on it. You see, God has a plan for you, and, and this, is, this is our 2911 DNA. If you've been through Church 101, if you've been here for any length of time, hopefully you have heard our, our 2911, our core verses. And Jeremiah 2011 is one of them. I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, plans to, plan, plans to raise you up. God has a plan for you. And when we understand that no one else can speak into our lives and tell us what we can't do unless we allow them to, what we do and what we accomplish rest on us. God has given you the opportunity, and God has given you the calling. It becomes us to deal with our past. It comes to us to begin to, di- to take those distractions out. I've used this phrase a lot. It's one of my favorite ones. It's one that my kids roll their eyes at because I say it so much. Um, and if you, have, if you have teenagers and young adults that you've raised, they roll their eyes a lot. But this is one of them. In order to have what you truly love, you will have to give up things that you really like. Let me, let me I, I, if if you haven't heard that or if it doesn't sink in, in order to have what you love, you're going to have to give up things that you like. If you love being buff and being in shape and looking like Keller, walking around, like, put on a Superman suit and look good in the thing, then you're probably going to have to give up donuts. <laughs> You're going to have to give up TV time for workout time. You're going to have to give up things that you really like if that's what you love. If you want, if you want to live in a really nice house and you want to have really nice things, then you're going to have to give up other things so that you can work and you can have money to do that. You may have to give up freedom to do other things so that you can pay for these things. If you want to be able to travel the world and not have those things then you may have to give up that big house. You may have to drive a used car. You may have to live in one of those tiny houses. So you could, you know, and if you ever watch that, that's what people do. They said, we gave up that so that we could have this. And that's what, that's what destiny, when you begin to find your destiny is understanding. That's what he said, when you, when you get to the point that you're serious about finding me and you want it more than anything else, I'll make sure that you won't be disappointed. When I was in Florida, I was on staff at a church, I was the, I was the worship pastor, later the associate pastor, and uh, the young man that was a youth pastor became the senior pastor. He and I came up together and, we, and we're friends and, and we talk occasionally. He still pastors this church. They're up to like 4,000 people now. They have, they have three or four campuses in Gainesville. They have a campus in Miami. They have, they're just growing and doing awesome things. And, and it would be easy to see why this church went from six or 800 when he and I were together to why it's over several thousand since he became the senior pastor and took over. It would be easy to to, to to blame it on different things, but I'll tell you exactly why. Because when Mike and I were coming up, Mike Mike refused to put a TV in his house. Now, there were a lot of Saturdays that he came to my house when it was time for the Gator football game to come on, being a Florida fan there in Gainesville. But uh, uh, but, but he didn't have it. And, and so I, I would tease him and i asked him, you know, Mike, why don't you get a TV, man? You just watch, you know, you watch the football game on the weekends or watch something. And he told me, he said, Jeff, I know that if I if I put it in my house, it will become a distraction that will eventually eat my time. I know that if I allow myself 30 minutes for the news, the next thing I know, I'll allow 30 minutes for something else. If I allow two hours to to watch the football game, then I want to watch this, and I'll watch this. And he said, I know that I cannot control myself, so I simply do not allow it in my household. He determined that... Seeking after God and being a godly, a godly father and a godly leader. And he also has like 10 kids. Maybe he needs the TV. He had a, he said these things are more important than me than, than having a television. And that's why he is a godly man who leads a godly church who has missions all over the world, who is doing great and mighty things all over the world because he chose to get rid of the distractions. And there are some of us that are not, fulfilling the calling God has. We're not fully reaching our destiny because we allow all these other things to clog in and to get in our way and we can't do what it is that God's called us to do. Which leads me to the third thing. If you want to to truly find your destiny, you have to first deal with your past. You have to begin to understand that other people can't determine it for you. And the third thing is that you have to understand that there are people waiting to help you fulfill your destiny. Now, I know you're thinking, what are you talking about? Uh, there, aren't people there are people waiting to help you fulfill your destiny. God has placed people in your life, some you, some you may not even know, some you may not have even met yet, that want to wanna help you reach that. There was a band of people waiting to serve and fight alongside whoever could wield Excalibur in the movie. There was a band of warriors they were waiting because they knew the person that could pull the sword from the stone and wield Excalibur was the man that was destined to be the king. And so they waited and they were vigilant for that person to become known so that they could fight alongside and they could they could defend this man and help him become what it was that he was to become. There's a story in the Bible. I, I love this story. It's about Elijah, one of the one of the greatest prophets. Uh, arguably one of the two greatest prophets in the Old Testament. And Elijah, uh, Elijah had just had one of his greatest victories. Uh, you guys may know the story. He had a, um, the, the, the god of, of the nation was Baal. And so Elijah stood against the king and against this Baal. And so he challenged him. He said, I'll tell you what, we'll set up sacrifices. And whichever god can call fire down from the heavens and burn up the sacrifice, that's who's really God. And so there were several hundred high priests of Baal, and 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 they set up there. Uh, they set up their altar and they put the sacrifice on there, and they began to dance, and they began to chant, and they began to sing. They began to cut themselves. They began to tear their clothes. They did everything they could do. They called out, and Elijah, <laughs> Elijah, being sarcastic, begins to tease them and said, "Maybe he can't hear you. Maybe maybe Baal's hard of hearing. Maybe you should shout louder." And he begins to do these things to kind of taunt them. Several hundred high priests, the king and queen, are standing there watching. And finally, Elijah's had enough. And he said, I tell you what, again, taking the sarcasm thing, he says, get 12 barrels of water. They're in a drought. God had sent a drought to this country because they were were serving this false idol. And he said, get 12 barrels of water and dump it on top of my altar and my sacrifice here. Soak the wood. Dig a trench around it. Fill up the trench with water. And then he began to pray, God of heaven and earth, I call on you in front of these people. Go and read it. It's, it's not some long prayer. It's not something that's a chapter long. It's, I, I, I had a pastor preach, I think it was like 32 words that he prays. And he gets through and fire shoots from heaven and burns up the sacrifice, the wood, the water, the altar. It, just, it, it, it destroys, obliterates this whole thing. The people, all these hundreds of of, of prophets of Baal, they scatter. Everybody goes, and this man chases them. And if they get through, the queen, Jezebel, she says, if you're not dead this time tomorrow, may God judge me harshly. Now, I know how scary it is when women take that tone with you. I've been married for nearly 30 years. I have heard that tone. But this man just saw God call down fire. I realize hell hath no fury like a woman, but I'm like a woman scorned, but I'm telling you, this man just saw God do the impossible, the miraculous. And this woman who stood against this God said, I will kill you tomorrow. And he ran and he hid. And so he goes and and he's hiding by this cave and he's feeling sorry for himself. I did everything I was supposed to do in this mean woman's going to kill me. And so God, I love God's. He's got a sense of humor. And and God comes and he says, Elijah, I've been looking all over for you. Where are you? God knows exactly where Elijah's at. God knows where you are when you're hiding. God says, Elijah, where are you at, man? What's going on? And Elijah begins to cry out to God and tell him all of these woeful things about how terrible it is and how he's the only one and now he's gonna die and God you're not gonna have anybody left and God begins to I imagine God begins to laugh there are angels like rolling around on the floor behind him laughing because he thinks we have no one and God says he tells, he, he tells Elijah, first off, let me tell you a couple of things. And he begins to tell him what he's called him to do and what he just did. And he said, meanwhile, I'm preserving for myself 7,000 souls, the knees that haven't bowed to the God Baal, the mouths that haven't kissed his image. He said, Elijah, <laughs> you poor, poor idiot. There are 7,000 people waiting to follow you into battle. There are 7,000 people that are going to stand up They are waiting for you to uh, follow my command and do what I've called you to do. And they are going to help you fulfill the destiny that I've laid out. Think about the story of Zacchaeus, the wee little man. And uh, he climbs in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And so he climbs up in this tree to see Jesus. God knew that Zacchaeus was going to need a tree to climb up in. And so hundreds of years before he ever got there, there was a tree that began to grow. In this spot the God that knew that there were going to be 7,000 people that needed to follow before Elijah was ever to that point were there there are people in your life that you may not even know or understand what they are they may be merely acquaintances at this point that God has placed for such a time as this so that when God raises that moment and says go there are people that begin to move in and begin to do those things for me it was a man in Florida, where I took a job at the church staff because it was the next step up the ladder, the, you know, the box they put me in that told me this is the way you're supposed to do ministry and you begin to climb and you walk the steps and you go up to this point and this is your full-time job and you go here. And there was a man there that taught me the real meaning of what it takes to be a minister, what it takes to love people, what it takes to give. <laughs> he always told me, he said, I would rather give the wrong man a break than break the wrong man. The man that told me that I can't judge people based on where they're from or what they look like or what they've done. I have to love them because God has called me to love them. And there are people that God has placed in your life. There are people that God has put you there to speak into that. People that want to help you understand that God has something bigger for you. People that stand up and tell you that that God has so much more for you than you could ever imagine. Before he could become King Arthur, Arthur had to decide that he wanted it. Think about that. Before he could become king, Arthur had to decide that he wanted to do it. Had he decided that, I really don't want to do this king thing. It seems like a lot of work. Uh, It's not really me. I don't want to do that. He would never have become the king. And it would have been a really boring movie. But he chose that that's what he wanted to do. There are some of us that we face at crossroads. Do I really want to do this? Do I really want to be what God has called me to be? Because it may be a lot of work. It may be a drag. There may be things that I have to do that aren't my favorite thing to do. If I want what I really love, I have to give up things that I like. In the immortal words of that great prophet Nike, just do it. Nike's not really a prophet, it's a tennis shoe, for those of you that weren't sure. Just do it. You see, God, God has called us to do things, and, and so often we sit around and we sit on our couch and we're waiting for the opportunity, we're waiting for God to, to come on and say, Can I have your attention, please? Would Micah please report to the stage to lead worship? You know, we 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 want someone. We want God to to be in an audible voice. We want God to change the radio like we see in the movies or something to start talking to us. You know, we want we want an angel to appear that says, "Behold, I bring you tidings of great joy." I want you to go be a missionary and preach my word all over the country. But that's not the way things work. You see. This, this 10-year-old boy that I told you about, that he was called to the ministry, and they began, to, they, they began to decide that this is what you have to do. And so the first thing that they did is they said, okay, you're like 11 or 12 years old now. We want you to be a leader in the children's ministry, in the kids' church. And so I became a leader in kids' church, and I did puppets, and I, did, I handed out whatever. I, I did whatever I had to do. I helped tell Bible stories, and I hated every minute of it <laughs> because it's not what I was called to do. But you know what? I did it, and I discovered that that was not my calling. And so the next thing that the next thing happened. I got older, so they made me a youth leader. They said, "Hey, you can help lead the youth group." And so I started leading youth group. And as I came up, you know, the first thing that I did when I got out, uh, when I got into ministry at 19 or 20 years old, uh, while I was still in school, and they, you know, I became a youth pastor. I could sing, so they said, we need a music pastor. You're going to be the music pastor. Oh, by the way, we need a youth pastor too, so you can do both. And we're not going to pay you because we're going to give you intern experience. And so, so I did this for nothing, and I hated every minute of it because youth ministry was not my true calling. I liked working with it, but I knew that was not it. And so this thing began to go, and it began to work, but I did whatever it was they put in front of me. And then I got my first, my first full-time job. Well, I, I went, We went to part-time. I think we made 50 bucks a week. And then we got a full-time job where I was making like $150 a week. And so uh, and, and this was not that long ago. It just wasn't much money. And the pastor said, okay, you're going to be a youth pastor, you're going to be a music pastor, and you know what? We need somebody to scrub the toilets. Oh, and we need somebody to help cut the grass. And so you're going to do all this to get your 150 bucks a week. And so I did whatever it was because I knew that I wanted so badly that this was what I wanted was to follow God and find my calling and serve him because this is what that 10-year-old boy knew that he had to do, and so whatever it took, I was going to do it. And there are some of you that God has great and awesome things that he wants you to do. And some of us are sitting around waiting for God to come and tap us on the shoulder and say, hey, I need you to come do this. If you are not sure of your calling, I know that sounds really mean, it sounds like I'm calling you out this morning, and maybe I am, but hear my heart, 2911 exists to make this place better, to make Gardendale and Fultondale, or if you live in Colburg like I do, or if you live in Kimberly, Or wherever it is, if you live in Leeds, like we have a few people that drive, wherever it is that you live, wherever it is that you are, whatever school you're in, whatever job you're on, our job as Church 2911 is to make those places better. To make a difference where we go, because we we have something to offer, and it's hope. It's hope that people need to hear that God can make atonement for those mistakes and make everything right and render you speechless. It's that God has people waiting in your life to step up when you find what it is that I've given you for you to do. And so this morning, there's some of you, and you're, Jeff, I don't know what my calling is. Pastor, I don't know. Pastor Rick, I don't know what my calling is. I I don't know what it is. Whatever it is, I challenge you the first thing to go to the Church 2911 website and to look up Summer Observe and find one of those things and go do it. If painting is it, and you hate painting as much as I do, then you're going to discover that this is not my calling. <laughs> but I've just made the first step in discovering what that calling is. If they have something, they need, they need help cleaning up yard work and doing those things, you know what? I'm going to go do it. And if you decide that this is not what I'm called to do, that is awesome. You've just, you've just, congratulations. You've just made the next step of discovering what your calling is. If, if, if you want to be, you decide I want to be on stage like you guys and sing and play and do some stuff. I played the trombone in high school, so I want to come and play and be on the worship team. And you contact Jamie and Jamie's. And by the way, if you play trombone, we could use. I mean, that's fine. That's. Uh, but you call Jamie. And, and, and Jamie says, you know what, that's great. We'd love to have you. Here's what you're going to have to do. First, you're going to have to audition. Then you're going to have to do this. Then you're going to have to come for six weeks and set up and tear down before you ever get to even sniff the stage. And you may decide, you know what, that's not for me either. I don't want to do that. That's fine. You've just, you've just discovered the next thing that is not your calling. And you begin to find those things and begin to do. I love, I love what Sister David used to say when I, it was, it, it was, I think it was 101, or maybe, uh, and, and we talked about the things, and, and she spoke up, and she said, your calling is whatever it is that needs to be done at 2911. You see, I understand. I know what my giftings are. I understand that assisting leading worship or that, that helping with the sound of the audio. I understand that, that helping mentor some of these guys. Those are my calling, my, my gift, the things that I'm really good at. But I also know... That if there's water on the floor that needs to be mopped up and nobody else sees it, it's my calling to get a mop and to get it up. I know that, 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 that even if I'm not scheduled to, do, to be here on Sunday morning, that they need help setting some of this stuff up. And I know that I know how everything connects, and so they may need somebody to help with that. So you know what? It's my calling to make sure this stuff gets set up and gets done. And there are some of you that God has given you a calling and you don't know what to do. And you say, say, well, I guess I'll sleep in this morning and and not come. I could get away with saying this stuff because I'm not the pastor. I don't have to get up here next week. But God is calling. God is looking for people who will just do it. So if you would just do it this morning, would you get up and stand and come down? I'm not going to sign you up for ministry. Would you come down? We like to close around the front. You know the thing about the thing about finding our our destiny and our calling it's um it's kind of like the it's kind of like the little boy that was in church and the pastor said how many of you want to go to heaven and everybody raises their hand except the boy in the front row and the pastor said do you not want to go to heaven and he said well yeah but I thought you were getting a load to go right now <laughs> we want our destiny but you know we want it to we want it to be easy. Anything in life worth having costs something. If it's free, except for the gift of eternal life, but even that is going to cost you something. It costs you to give up the little bit that you have. It, gives, it costs me to give up this temporal life that I'm going to die one day anyway for life that's everlasting. So this morning, there's, there's a verse, one last verse I want to share with you. It's in the book of James. I love James. Again, if, this is, if you remember the King James, this said, uh, faith without works is dead. It says, use your heads. Do you suppose for a minute that you can cut faith and works in two and not end up with a corpse on your hands? You cannot separate faith and works. I know the apostle Paul said that, you know, we're saved by faith, not by works, lest any man should boast. But James comes and says, that's absolutely true. But that don't mean you can sit on the couch and not do anything because you also have to have works because faith and works are one and the same. And if you kill it, it's dead. Your faith is dead if you don't do anything with it. By the same token, if you go out, you can go out and you can work, you can can go door to door and knock on people's houses and share the good news and do all these things. But if you don't have faith in Jesus Christ, your works are going to get you anything. It's when we take that faith, and when we get up and just do it, and we put it together, and we begin to make a difference in people's lives. When we begin to decide that I'm going to love that person at work that's really unlovable, because they're just mean. But that weird dude up Sunday with the long beard said that it's probably just hurting, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love him anyway and see if that helps. Because I'm going to prove him wrong. Prove me wrong, man. Love somebody to prove me wrong. I don't care. That's fine. God has called us to do something.